0: What's up, world? I got a question for you. What is it that makes coffee so damn good? Maybe it's that caffeine and dopamine hit you get after pounding a pot or two. Or perhaps it's that feeling of connection that you get when you sit down with another person to work on yourselves in the process of recovery. Maybe it's the fact that you can take something so bitter and turn it into something so delicious. Whatever it is, we in the recovery community love our coffee. And why not? Coffee is fuel. Coffee is love. Coffee is life. That's what makes Brainwashed Coffee the perfect partner for the Other Side of Hell podcast. Not only is every flavor of Brainwashed Coffee mastered and handcrafted by obsessive minds who won't stop until they've gotten it just right, but 50% of all proceeds go back into the recovery community to help those who may still be suffering, which makes Brainwashed Coffee a no-brainer. My personal favorite is Ego Ain't Your Amigo. A nice blend of Ethiopian and Guatemalan bean with a hint of citrus, dried fruit, and caramel flavor makes it a delicious blend for any time of day. Right now, you can go to brainwashedcoffeeco.com and use promo code OTHERSIDE for 20% off your coffee purchase. Brainwashed coffee, clean your bean. We at The Other Side of Hell podcast are not therapists, doctors, or counselors. We're
1: just two guys who have been through hell and come out the other side. Please be aware, we may talk about drinking and drugging in detail. Anyone struggling with addiction may find this triggering. Our goal is to share our stories, explore our struggles, and connect with others through our experience. Remember, we are not alone. There is hope, and together, we can get better. Hey, what's up, everybody? I am Cameron. I'm Willie. And you are... On the other side of hell podcast. Yes. This is The Other Side of Hell
0: Podcast. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. What's up, dude? Just over here chilling. Welcome to trying, the show. Trying well, to remember what to do
1: when well, I'm over here. I'm pretty sure you just <laughs> wing it.
0: Yeah. That's all I do anyway. It's all yeah. we're really doing. It's all any of yeah. us are doing. Yeah. Never know what's going to happen like you can you can predict based on some You know, substantial evidence how it's going to go, but it's not guaranteed to go that way. Usually, it's guaranteed to probably not go any way that you planned. Yeah, so just over here chilling, good. Excited to be here, talk about some stuff. I'm glad you're here. I am
1: too. We got a pretty uh, go. We got a pretty good war story today. I'm glad your
0: wife keeps letting us like come over and shoot this podcast.
1: Yeah, in your like studio. Based on everything that she knows about us, <laughs> she's got a pretty big heart. I yeah. would say.
0: Yeah. I love that this studio is so
1: close to home. Yeah. For me, it's like, I don't have to go anywhere. You guys are always like, Oh, I'm running a little bit late. I'm like, nah, me too. I'm just kidding. I'm here. I live here. That's how it goes. So
0: grateful. I'm grateful. I guess to be here. Oh, cool. Yeah, some place to be, some place to be accepted. It wasn't always that way. Fucking alcoholic, man. Mm. Fuck drug addict. Got a little bit of time under
1: my belt, but it wasn't
0: all. I wasn't always accepted everywhere that I went.
1: Yeah, wasn't always grateful. That's for sure. <laughs> no, for sure, for sure. I'm still not now, yeah. but I'm grateful I today.
0: Mean, I, I mean, all that stuff is just part of my story. You know, it's part of your story. Like my past is part of my story, and it's probably worth owning. Yeah? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Why is that funny? Oh, I just, I always find these clever ways to, and I don't- Oh, I you're don't, just laughing at how clever you uh, are? Yeah, I'm laughing at, I'm so funny and quirky.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, will own it. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's what we're going to talk about. Yeah, we're going to talk today about owning your story. Yeah. And this comes from, uh, from- the war story that we got from Gavin, yeah, which was who, great. Who, uh, who definitely owns his story. Yeah,
0: yeah, he talks about some stuff in there that that a lot of people do but don't talk about. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. and and that's what this the topic sparked from. It's like fuck, that was one way of my living. This is another way of my living.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and it's not the first time we've heard that term. Yeah, owning your story. No, it's right? not. We had uh, we had Katie on. Um, on the episode on, uh, trauma and, uh, no, was it trauma? No, we had Katie on and we talked about healing. Yeah. And, uh, and she talked quite a bit about owning your story. Yeah. And and, and that's of that's a sort of her slogan. Yeah. It's one of her slogans. Which, you know, like is, is rightly so, because it's such a big part of, uh, there's so much power in that.
0: Yeah, yeah. for sure.
1: Like we can get a lot from just sort of being okay with the things that have happened to us. Mm-hmm. And I know in my own experience that I, I haven't always felt that way. Like there's a lot of resentment, a lot of self pity, a lot of uh, I don't know negative actions that, that that came after. I would think about the things that had happened to me. A lot of victim mentality, yeah. if you will. Um, and and now I get to look at those situations and say, you know what? Like it's probably fine. In fact, you know I'm I don't know who I would be without those things. Right. So I, I can own it. And, and I think it's a different thing to talk about owning your story and then owning it out loud. Yeah. Which is what Gavin does. Right. He owns it out great, loud. Great point. He's not afraid to talk about it. So in that vein, like, what would you say is, is the biggest part of, or maybe the biggest conclusion you've come to in owning your own story? Like what's wow. the biggest thing you take away from it?
0: Well, when you were when you were sharing just now, I was thinking about sponsorship for some reason. That 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 came to mind because hearing someone else talk about the things that I kept secret was was the first step in me being able to like open up and talk about all these things that I had in my deep dark basement of mm. despair, mm-hmm. you know, and embarrassment. You know, I thought. That a lot of the things that I was doing behind closed doors was, was really abnormal. And it turned out that a lot of people were doing those things, you know? And one of the things I think people struggle with talking about openly is sexuality and trauma, you know, the things that have happened to us and the things that we've done to ourselves, but having somebody else talk about uh, their own experience before we talk about our experience is really helpful mm-hmm. to know that I'm not alone, you know? And so, my sponsor opened up to me and started telling me about stuff even to the point where you know i remember the guy that got me sober he's dead now but i'll never forget you know he he felt responsible for the death of a person and in that you know he he took advantage of this girl who had a a lot of money she she came into a lot of money and um she got with him and, and wanted to buy a large amount of cocaine and a large amount of heroin. And he did that for her, right? And um, because he was able to get that kind of quantity, she commenced to use with him. You know, he used with mm-hmm. her, he used up, you know, and it was like a pound of each. It was like quite a bit. Wow. And, um, they just partied and partied, and, and she eventually died off of that um, that particular buy. Right. Like the amount of drugs that he bought that time with her, she died and overdosed and, and died from it. And he felt responsible for it. And I thought, you know, I don't have anything like that in my life. You know, I don't have a story like that, but he fucking straight owned that. You right. He was able to talk about it. And, and through owning that, taking the responsibility for something so, uh, so big, uh, he was able to like, heal from it and then share it with a guy like me. Who helped me open up to him and start exploring, you know, like what are, what are some of these things that I'm keeping secret and keeping hidden that I'm embarrassed of that I don't need to be embarrassed of, or, um, that I'm holding on to that I don't need to hold on to, you know? And, you know, for me, a lot of those things were like stealing from my mom, you know? Right. Like, like straight sneaking into her room while she was sleeping and fucking stealing money out of her purse. Mm-hmm right next to her bed Mm -hmm. and her having to keep that her purse next to her bed because fucking anywhere else in the house i would steal out of it Mm -hmm. and like that's embarrassing for me
1: it's embarrassing and is 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 the first time that you owned up to that like through the 12-step process and with your sponsor
0: uh the first the very first time that i that i spoke about it was when i was in treatment at 24 okay But that wasn't the last time I stole from him. Right, right, yeah. (laughs) You know, but, um, you know, I I opened up with with this guy this last time on everything, Mm -hmm. right? And because I thought I was just fucking broken, you know? I just thought I was fucked up, man. And I didn't think sobriety was going to happen to me unless I did get transparent about all these things. And, And most of the things that I brought up, he was like, yeah, me too. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Yep. Yeah, me too. And this, you know, whatever, whatever that thing was. And so, you know, I think that, uh, opening up and owning your story, it it comes at appropriate times and you have to kind of listen to your internal dialogue about when that is and what that is. Right. Um, there's, there's not really any need for me to open up and own my story about my sexuality with my mother.
1: <laughs> sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
0: You know, but one-on-one with another addict that's getting clean or sober for the first time that can't seem to get past certain relationships or something, then then, you know, maybe it is appropriate for me to talk about my sexuality or my struggles with that or or my identity or or whatever it is that I went through because you know, one of the things I think is is so uh, overlooked is like we go through these seasons in our lives where we just don't know who the fuck we are. Like mm. being being a kid, being a fucking teenager was a fucking sexual nightmare. Oh sure, <laughs> it was a hormonal
1: nightmare. It was a nightmare in a lot of ways, and that was definitely a big one.
0: Yeah, and and like like navigating through who we are sexually can be very, very confusing, especially if you have certain standards within your home or your family or your religion or whatever they can't seem to hold up to start keeping that kind of shit secret. You know, masturbation is one of them. Like, yeah. fucking, nobody wants to talk about masturbation. It seems like everybody I talk to does it. <laughs> Yeah. Everybody
1: does it. Did you, I mean, but I, I had that, you know, the, the couple of kids in my neighborhood that would be like, yeah, I just tossed, I just tossed off. I just jerked off and be like, dude, you can't, you
0: you can't talk like that. You can't just say that. Like, what are
1: you doing? Like that stuff has to go unsaid.
0: Yeah. And then there's the people that like, won't talk about it to this day, you know, but Mm -hmm. you know, it's all, it's all in how, how you portray or uh, it's all in how you view yourself and, and you know, what is the benefit of, of me even bringing it up, right? Like, so if I'm going to try to, you know, it's one thing to own my story. It's another thing to share it. And And so, like, I see benefit in people sharing their stories. I see benefit in me sharing my story. And I think that's what's so great about what we do on this show is that people get on here. They get transparent with a wide audience of people who we don't even know who the fuck's going to hear our story. Right. But there's people that are resonating with that through our honesty and transparency. So, like, in this space, it's it's appropriate for me to talk openly about as many things as I can in a level of, like, me trying to help somebody get through whatever it is they're getting through so right. that they can understand, like, this is okay.
1: Yeah, it removes some of the stigma when we talk about some of this stuff. Yeah. Like, like I, as I was sort of having that, that conversation or, or that dialogue inside my mind about that kid who used to own masturbating at that age, you know, like what's the point of that? Like, why, why would he, you know, like feel the need to, to share that? And yeah, I don't know if there was this much thought behind it then, but I think about it now and it's like, well, the reason would be to, to let people know that it's okay to talk about like, dude, you you jerk off too? Cool. Talk about it. Like it's not that big a deal. Like everybody does it. Like it's probably not as big a deal as you think it is. And, and by doing so, you know, we remove some of the shame behind it because yeah. that was that was the first and I've said it on here before like specifically with masturbation like that was the first thing I felt a lot of shame for Yeah, you know um then it was cigarettes then it became you know sexual behavior and then you know on and on the, the drug, progression the goes. drug
0: addiction yeah yeah
1: exactly so um you know so i think that that's why owning your story is important is, is it's okay to talk about this stuff. It's okay to let people know that these are the things that happen during these different times of our life. Mm -hmm. Um, they they may not be things that we currently deal with, but they're a part of our past. And that by talking about them, it lets other people know, like, like you had your experience with your sponsor, that, uh, that these experiences happen. It's okay to talk about them. And the more that we talk about them, hopefully like the more we heal from them. Yeah. And I think that that's a big part of it is just knowing that there is a therapeutic benefit to owning your story. Yeah, for sure.
0: You know, and, and, and it's hard to, it's hard to move past some of this stuff without like definitely taking a look at it and accepting it. Right. Mm-hmm. Cause that, that was one of the, one of the things we were talking about as we were coming up with this topic was, you know, what is the difference between owning your story and acceptance? Right. Or accountability. Or accountability. Yeah. Right. And, and, and. So, like, as I go through and I process my life, you know, I have to look at the things, like, like what are the things in my life that have brought me shame, right? Because shame and guilt are different, right? Like, guilt is comes from something that I do, and shame comes from something that I believe I am, mm-hmm. right? And so, as I move and I navigate through being able to, to put together this format of being able to tell my story and own my story, I have to go back and I have to put you know, where did I get my belief structure from and what do I believe about the behaviors that I've had in my life? And so like, for me, like, like stealing was, uh, I I was labeled as a thief from stealing. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I internalized this behavior, right. And that behavior came out of a desire for self-preservation or Um, you know security or something like that like I would steal because I thought I needed the thing that I was taking and so as a kid I would steal shit like it was usually candy or toys or CDs or something something to that nature before I started just trying to steal things I could get money for but I internalized when I when I got caught and um, I was getting like you know disciplined for that the label of thief came up right and i associated thief with bad right and that's just the way my mind worked my whole life like like i tried to i always identify whatever that label was to solidify the fact that i was bad and unworthy mm-hmm. like like here's another proof that i'm bad and unworthy and so being a thief went into my subconscious mind and, and i labeled myself as that and so yeah. every time i went and stole something it just it just validated the fact that I'm a thief, right? And that validates the fact that I'm bad. And so just let's just keep chalking this up to this person that's unworthy of love. And so as I, as I move through that stuff, I look at, you know, that's one aspect of it. I was a thief, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing is is like, I, <clears throat> I was really abusive, right? And so like my my need, one of the things that I had to do in my fourth step or my fifth step, my when I started like going through my step work, you know, and I, and I got through and I identified some of these areas, I got to my ninth step and I recognized that I needed to make amends to animals, right? Because I was, I was one of those people that was super abusive to animals. And that was something that was really hard for me to admit because I know that people frown upon right. a, an animal bull, yeah. right? And it was something that I did from the time I was very young. Coming up, um, it wasn't uncommon for me to go out and kill bullfrogs and, and frogs and birds and hunt and, and this kind of stuff. But that that progressed into like kicking the dog and you know fucking shooting cats mm-hmm. and you know being there was there was one time where we we really just really fucking put this cat through the ringer and I remember it and. Uh, the, the authorities found out, you know, because we almost killed this cat and the, the, the owner of this cat confronted us with the officer. And this guy was just in fucking tears over this cat. You know, I don't know how bad it was. We were like, I was probably like maybe 10 years old, somewhere in there, 10 or 11. And we just fucking just really abused this animal. And like, I had to get in my last ninth step. I had to You know, my eighth and ninth step, I had to put that animal on that step work, or else I wouldn't have gotten past it, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and I have to own that those were behaviors. Now I can go through and I can kind of identify where those behaviors came from with enough work. Uh, and I think that that's something that people should do, but I still have to own that. And then now today I get to own the fact that like, I can't even fish without (laughs) feeling bad for the fuck for the fish. Like, like I can't harm any other living creature, you know, but that was part of my story. And so that adds to this, this guy that is bad and unworthy of love. So mm-hmm. I have this sexual shit, I have this thieving stuff, I have this abusive nature, I have all these things and it creates the storyline of my life. Right. Mm-hmm. And so all that stuff adds up, adds up, adds up. And now fast forward to my twenties, I'm a fucking full blown drug addict, just, a fucking mess. Yeah. just a mess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so I don't know if any of that makes sense or if it's going to help anybody, but you know, I own all those things today. Those are all part of my story. Those are all part of, of my adversity and things to overcome.
1: Yeah. Well, and those are things that are difficult to talk about. Yeah. Things that are difficult to hear sometimes. Like I'm sure there's going to be people that hear that you were abusive to that cat and go, Oh my God, Willie, why? Yeah. Or, you know, what a fuck? I'm going to get judged some, some, right. right? right. Well, that's that's, the fear. That's the fear. Yeah, exactly. And I, and I think that that's uh, for me, like that's the biggest hurdle is like with owning my story. Like I want to own my story. I want to be able to, to take that into myself, accept it and then put it out there for the world to see so that it can be inspirational Yeah. And, and, and maybe make a difference to somebody else. Right. Um, But it's difficult for me sometimes. Like it is not like for me, it is a process, a chore to really talk out loud about some of the things that I've struggled with, you know, yeah, like food, especially like, I I always want to go to food because I think for me, like it is the biggest thing that, that is, I don't want to say that there's stigma to it, but it seems like there's stigma to it. like to for me, there is stigma mm-hmm. around it. Like like me personally, as an individual, you know, who's labeled as a compulsive overeater, there is this weird thing with food where it's like I should be able to control this. It's not a substance. It's not alcohol. It's not anything that's been proven to be addiction addicted, except for sugar,
0: yeah, sugar is way addictive, right?
1: But um, you know, it, there's not as much awareness around it. And so it's like, you know, the fear is that by talking about it, people are going to receive it as, Oh my God, like you can't control. Yeah. What are you weak? Yeah. Like what? Just don't have another one. Like yeah. what, you know? And of course we've seen that that's not the case. Like, the more we talk about food on the show or the problems with food or our experience with, with um, having issues related to overconsumption of food, controlling our food, things that we eat, our diets, and everything like that, the more we see other people who have come out and said, you know, we really appreciate that you guys are talking about that. Yeah. And so this is a live example of why owning your story is so important. Like, Because there are those things that are not easy to talk about. There are those things that that, um, that, you know, society, quote unquote, has labeled as taboo for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so like by talking about them, we're other, we're we're able to have others look to us and say, okay, it's okay to talk about this stuff. Apparently like, otherwise you wouldn't be talking about it. (laughs) Um, and, and I think that food for me is a big one. Like it is hard for me to talk about the things that I've been doing with food, you know, like, luckily, like, you know, I'm able to talk to you or my wife or, you know, a few people in my inner circle that I do open up to about food. And slowly that circle is beginning to Widen, yeah, right? Like I'm getting more and more comfortable talking about it to more and more people. But it is a process. It is a chore because there is simply like there's something deeply ingrained in my being that really wants to hold on to it. And I think honestly, like when i when I think it, like as I'm speaking these words out loud, like it feels like the same thing wants me to hold on to it is the same thing that wants to justify the next binge, right. you know, like if I get it out there, if I shed light on it, then it might weaken it. And I don't want to weaken it because then I'll lose it, you know? And, and there's that addict part of me that doesn't know what I would do without it. Yeah, You know? So I don't know if anybody can identify with that, but for me, it's very reminiscent of how I used to feel with drugs and alcohol. Yeah, I mean, it's in the same exact vein, you know, yeah. like I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to, I don't want other people to try. Like, I'll figure this out. I will figure this out. You know, like I don't want other people to try and help me with it because then it might actually work. Yeah. And then what? Yeah. Then what will I do? Like I, I'm just so used to this behavior. I'm just so used to how my life is now that even if it is not great, it's what I'm used to and change is scary yeah. and it's uncomfortable and I don't like to be uncomfortable. Right. So, I mean, I can
0: identify with all that, right? Like, absolutely. You know, the, the fear of that, that part of me that has built such an identity around that negative behavior, that fight between doing the right thing and not doing the right thing. Like when it comes to the food, like there's a part of me that I absolutely identify with the fight for the control over food. Mm -hmm. Like, like I identify as that as part of my, You know, as part of who I am. And so what am I going to do when I'm not fighting the food fight anymore? You know, and it's kind of like, I don't know, like, but I'll figure it out because I'm going to keep fighting it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I've been in both spaces where, um, you know, I didn't fight the food and I, and I caved or I didn't fight the relapse and I caved or, or whatever the case is, you know, I didn't fight the, the sexual desire and I caved and, and just those things stacked up and it ended up making me feel worse after some time in sobriety and after some time moving forward towards the, the person that I'm trying to create that's on this side of the table today. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I almost don't have a choice, you know, and, and another thing that that's really difficult, you know, because you mentioned, you know, the stigmas of, of society, if you will. And there, I think there's a few really easy ones. you know, food being overweight um, or being underweight, not looking a certain way is is a stigma and and I think that that's definitely worth approaching like like we do you know one of them is sexuality I think that sexuality and and sex conduct is something that's really not talked about a whole lot you know I think and it's hard to navigate that without being worried about offending people. Right. You know, another one is, is personal beliefs. Like, you know, how am I going to approach this personal belief, whether it's spiritual or, you know, uh, political or, or whatever, it's hard to navigate these conversations. And, and like, those are all parts of our stories. Right. Um, income is, is a hard one to, to navigate and talk Mm -hmm. about. Like Mm -hmm. I've been in fucking serious debt, like just, poor money management, like a motherfucker to the point where at one time I was like 96 or $98,000 in debt through, through just like running up my credit of fucking vehicles and, and leases and, yeah and all those things. And like, I had, I had to learn to talk about those things and I had to learn how to clean those things up. Mm-hmm. I had to learn how to clean those things up. And, and you know, that, That brings me to another point when it comes to owning my story is like, I clean those things up.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like it it would be a different story if, you know, like I'm, I'm $96,000 in debt. By the way, I'm going shopping when I leave here. (laughs) But it's like, no, I'm, you know, I was $96,000 in debt and, and now I'm not.
0: Right. And I took care of it. Well, like owning that. Yeah. Like Mm -hmm. how do we, how do we navigate that discussion as well? Mm -hmm. Right. Without sounding like a pomp as fuck. Right. Right. You know, here I am a hundred pounds less Mm -hmm. still navigating, you know, still struggling with food. You know, how do we navigate that? That's part of my story, you know? Uh, I'm a business owner. I've been sober for nine years. My kids have never eaten fast food. I start stacking these wins. And how do I how do I go about sharing that part? Right. Like like you went to college, you left a job, you've gotten married, you know, you have these things on the horizon. You know, how do we how do we incorporate that into the discussion? So that people are still open to that too, because I have to own my wins as much as I have to own my failures or, you know, I have to own the things that I do good, which is hard for me to do. Yeah. It is fucking hard for me because I can do 90 things right and one thing wrong and the fucking, and, and not even, not even completely burn the fucking boat to the ground. Like just like bump it off the, the dock. Right. (laughs) And I could, I could fucking wreck my whole psyche over that and forget about the fact that I got the ship into the dock. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so like, um, so like, how do we, how do we incorporate that
1: part of owning our story too? You know? Well, I think it's funny that you say that because like this whole time we've been talking about owning our story, like I only think about the bad shit most people do. Right. And it's like, (laughs) I don't, I like the good shit doesn't even register. Like I'm not even out. I'm not out to talk about, you know, like the things I've done, I've accomplished in my life. Yeah. You know, like, but there is, there is a way, there is a way to talk about that stuff. Yeah. It's like, yeah, I, you know, I did drugs for a long time. I, I, you know, I drove drunk all the time. I, you know, I had sex with people I shouldn't have had sex with. I, I, broke a lot of hearts. Yeah. I, you know,
0: a did, did a big. lot
1: of negative behavior. I stole from people. I, you know, I just a lot of, a lot of really bad shit, but I also, you know, cleaned up. I also got sober. I also went to school I went to college. You know, I got married, I left a job, I started a new career, you know, like, all the, all the good things with the bad, like there is a way to do all that. Right. Mm -hmm. We can own it all and because it all is who we are now. Yeah. And, and the funny thing is, is like with as difficult as it is to own that bad stuff, like I wouldn't have any of the good stuff had I not had that bad stuff, which is, you know, the paradox of recovery.
0: Yeah. Yeah. If it wasn't, if anything was different, everything would be different. Right. Mm -hmm. Like one of the things, one of the things that I, as we start exploring, uh, who we are in sobriety, right? Like, so, so we've had enough, enough bullshit that we decide to get sober. Right. And this is, this is for anybody, you know, eventually you had your first day, day, day one, day one, day one sobriety. Mm -hmm. Yesterday I drank today is day one right? And we have all that shit. Day one turns, you know, whatever that looked like for whoever you are. Like, like for me, day one of, of my last bender was <clears throat> coming to in a, in a tri- in a camper in Riverdale that mm-hmm. my parents were paying for. I just came off a Xanax binge. This was the last time I used, it was mid-December, 2011. And I don't remember a whole lot about it, but I went to a meeting. Right? I, I went to a meeting and I got with another guy that I had already been kind of working with and said I was ready, right? And that day turned into two and it was a struggle and that two turned into 30 and it was a struggle, but we started working the process of recovery through the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. That's what worked for me. Now, through that process, after nine years, one of the things that I did, uh, to, to prepare for nine years was kind of start, like, what do I want my life to look like? You know, what kind of person do I want to be and how do I get there? Mm-hmm. And one of those things was, like, things will be revealed as we're ready for them. You know, that old saying, more right. will, more, more, will will be, revealed. more will be revealed. You know, I worked the steps and some of those things were on there that I talked about. You know, the sexuality, the drug use, the thievery, the the deception, uh, the animal abuse, Um All those things were on there and I was able to stop doing those things, you know, and so what does it look like to heal that, right? One of the things that I had to do in the area of sexuality was like get some, get some, learn some things about human sexuality, right? I had to... You know, like me and Avery went to a sex counselor and learned, mm-hmm. learned you know what it's like for a. Wo- I got to learn what it's like for a woman in sexuality, and she got to learn like what it was like for a man, so that I could put that into my toolbox, so that I could better own who I am sexually, right? So that I can be more confident. I've said it so many times, and I'm going to keep saying it. My ultimate life and my ultimate goal in life is to know myself well. Right. I want to know me. You know, and, and I'm not going to fucking fight who that is. I'm going to explore who that is. And not everybody's going to accept it, but I get to own it. Right. Mm-hmm. I get to own it today. I get to own it on my terms because I stop doing things that I don't agree with. You know, I don't have to do things to make you happier than happy. I do things to make me safe. And I do that through that process of like, okay, I don't know what this is about, but I can learn what this is about. And so the process of it all is like really learning and, and being willing to really admit my faults and really admit my dark places and really explore
1: those. But it, it helps
0: a lot if you have somebody that can go there with you.
1: Right. Yeah. It's, 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 it's almost like that saying, you know, don't go into your, your mind alone. <laughs> yeah. It's You're, a dangerous neighborhood, it's a bad neighborhood, and, na- dangerous yeah. neighborhood. Don't go in there alone. Yeah. You know, and I, and I think too that uh, when it comes to that, that it, it is crucial that I navigate some of this stuff with somebody else because like looking at all this stuff is not always a good feeling. Like if I'm going to, you know, take a good hard look at this stuff and accept it as mine, um, you know, it's, there might be a time where I need to bounce some stuff off of somebody and I need somebody, like you said, originally, like that will say, yeah, man, like I did that shit too. Like, because I want to immediately assume that I'm the only one that's ever had to deal with this or that I had it worse than anybody else or that nobody else understood how this made me feel. Yeah. And that's not the case. Like we're finding more and more, like especially through doing this podcast and the people that we get to talk to, like not only are, you know, do other people know and, and and have a similar experience that, that we do, but you know, those people have been through the ringer, you know, four or five times worse, or they have, completely, you know, different experiences and they are owning that. Yeah. And like the, the traverse of that is that, you know, they're owning it and they're prospering from it, you know, like, so it's almost like in direct correlation to how much you choose to own what happened to you will, will determine like how much you will be successful. Like if you completely own what happened to you, live out loud, work through that stuff, share that process with other people in an attempt to help others. It seems like from what I've noticed, the better off these people generally seem to be. Yeah. It's working for us. It's working, (laughs) it's working for us. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so, you know, I'll be grateful for that today, but yeah, but owning your story is, is huge, man, man. Yeah. And it's, 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 uh, it's, it's not an easy process. It's not anything that that I knew to do automatically, right. but it's something I'm getting better at the more and more I do it. But didn't it seem like, like,
0: you know, we're, we're, we're a traditional 12 steps. So like a lot of like you and I, we went to a lot of meetings when we, you know, AA meetings or NA meetings when we first got sober and people would share, you know, mm-hmm. and didn't it seem like you could tell or you could resonate with the people that seem to own their stories? Like, It was for me, like the people that talked about the worst shit were the people I was most attracted to because I wanted to know how the fuck, how are you happy? Yeah. You
1: know? Yeah. Especially when, you know, a lot of times they're laughing about it. Yeah. And that's part of, I think part
0: of the healing process of owning your story, you know, and I would listen to these people and they would talk about some fucked up thing that I did that I was keeping secret. And then they would laugh at the end of it and be like, fuck my shit was fucked up. Right, right. <laughs> it was fucked. And, and I get to do that now. Right. Mm-hmm. I can look back at past behavior and just be like, Holy shit. That was just crazy. Like, and that's okay. Yeah. You know? yeah. Thankfully nobody was harmed or that I know of, or nobody was killed in that situation where I'm still paying for it. You know, I've learned from it and I get to move on. But part of owning your story, I think is finding the humor and your past, being able to laugh at yourself from your mistakes. And, you know, whether it's from the past long ago or from the past 10 minutes ago, you know, it's, it's a good idea to be able to stand back and find the humor in your own story. Right.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think too, that like I resonate with people who have been through some shit. Yeah. If, 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 you've never been through anything in your life. You've never had that adversity. You've never overcome anything like that. Like, it's not to say that I don't, you know, like I, I don't understand you, but I want that for you. Usually is is the case. It's like, I want you to have to do that work on yourself because I want to see that in you. I want you to see in you what you are forced to see when you're in that adversity. Yeah, You know, and uh, and so like, in that regards, like by owning our story and sharing it with others, we also build this community, right? Like we found like in Instagram and recovery, like um, through our community here locally, like these are all people who have obviously been through some shit who will share their story at the drop of a hat. Yeah, you know, and and by hearing those, it's just like man, like our community is huge
0: and I yeah and I and I I love the community that I get to be a part of by by doing this stuff you know other people sharing their story owning their shit showed me that it was okay for me to share my story and own my shit and and it came from so many different places at so many different times you know but being open to receiving a message at any given time is like so huge you know because I get it from all over the place and and Uh, there seems to be an energy that, that is truly like transparent and undeniable when there's a person in my vicinity that's completely open to owning all their shit and moving past it and working through it because I get so much out of that like that's what has really has really helped me be who I am today is like Okay, those those are the things that happened in my life, those are the things I did in my life. These are the certain things that I don't want in my life anymore. And this is what I'm willing to do to get there and and like I just I love that I learned all this stuff through a community of a spirit of love and charity and and <clears throat> you know through through a process of of step work that was helped me be transparent with myself. And, and I'm just so grateful for the process of all that to the point where I'm completely over, like, I'm I'm no longer a thief, hmm. right? I'm no longer sexually fucked up. Like, I know who I am sexually, um, which is a huge gift for me. Like, I was so fucked up in that area my whole life, you know? I, I no longer need to steal in order to fucking validate or, or gain something that I'm afraid I'm not going to have. I definitely do not need to hurt any other living creature anymore to... to boost myself up or, or anything like that. And, and, you know, for me, for me to be in such a different space is, is a place of humility and gratitude Mm -hmm. that I can admit that, that I can see that, that I can move past that and grow from it and hopefully share it in a way that other people can understand. And so like what, what I would like to share and, and, and let the audience, you know, the listeners, anybody that's watching or listening to this know that like, if you have questions about owning your story, like reach out to us. Mm-hmm. it's one of the things that, that we ask is like, we do have some, some direction in this area of, of, of things that worked for us. And that's what I can do is give you the suggestion that worked for me. Um, and all that stuff landed me here on this side of the table. And like I always say, it's ain't so bad.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's not so bad. And the other thing I would say too, is that, you know, like when we talk about owning your story, it might sound like we're talking about owning it out loud. And that's not necessarily the case. Like there is a a, a way to own your story humbly, quietly to yourself. Like I'm reminded of, of, uh, of Jim Thompson, who we had on the show. Um, he shared his war story and he talked about celebrating 10 years of sobriety quietly to himself. Right. And uh, and and sometimes that's really what we have to do. Like maybe maybe sharing your story and owning your story out loud is not for you. Like maybe there's a way for you to say like humbly to yourself, like you know what I do own on that shit. Like it's important that that we talk about it in a way with at least one other person in our experience, at least um, you know like through a twelve step program through step five. Right. Um, that that because I think that there is power that comes from saying that and speaking those words and getting it off your chest, but it doesn't have to be something that you put on a podcast, for example. Right. Like, um, you know, like we're lucky enough that we have people share their stories with us, and these are people who have decided that by doing so, it helps them and it helps others. Right. And that uh, and that you know there is power that comes from that, and I would totally agree with that. That's yeah. why we get on here and we talk the way that we do about our lives openly. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that, you know, just like that, Gavin did the same thing. Yeah. And Gavin had an amazing story. Yeah. I love
0: the way he threw it down.
1: Yeah. Loved it. Very, very, uh, not shy. Not shy at all. No. Like, just comes at it unabashed, like fearless, and, and <laughs> puts it all out there. And that's exactly what we're talking about.
0: Yeah. And a lot of it I can identify with, you know, a lot of it. Oh, sure. yeah. You know, sure. Especially, I love, I love how... It, he gets into the emotional side of it, like how this stuff made him feel and what that looked like, you know, the way those things look like, you know, when he's, when he's drunk and, and being the emotional drunk, right. Guy, being, know. being that guy, being that guy drunk
1: that I want to kill myself. I love you guy. Yeah.
0: You know, yeah. and and owning that, like, that's who I am when I'm drinking and this is who I am when I'm not.
1: Yeah. You know, so Well, hell of a dude, man, and uh, and, uh, I think that a lot of people are going to get a lot from his story. I'm excited to share it with you guys, and uh, with that, here is Gavin's war story.
2: How's it going, everybody? My name is Gavin, and I am a drug addict. So I first started using hard drugs at 18 years old. I was that uh, well-researched college kid, right? Oh, this compound should fix the tachycardia caused by the synthetic cathinone. You know, I was Mr. Smarty Pants. I wasn't going to end up like the average American drug user because I was armed with that internet knowledge, right? right? Well, by 23, I'm hanging out in Killeen, Texas, slamming meth with fucking Mexican gangsters just like everybody else. So I guess you could say my journey started when I was 15, smoking weed during lunch at school. And sometimes, getting drunk on weekends with my buddies. Ended at 26, locked in a bathroom, injecting myself with imprecise mixtures of meth and heroin, crying tears of despair and jacking off. All at the exact same time. I was uh, I was more or less a textbook completion of the gateway theory, I guess you could say. So what happened? I guess, uh, I guess let's start from the beginning here. In the August of 1993, I was born to two loving and wonderful parents. My dad was in the army, so we were constantly moving all over the fucking place every two years or so. But uh, other than that, great family, really happy childhood. Never got beat. Uh, well, you know, this, this was the old days when we could still get the belt whenever we were acting up. But I uh, yeah, never got abused, never got touched or had any kind of funny shit happen. Uh, I am blessed to have had a really, truly happy upbringing. Now, I do have the the genetic predisposition to addiction from both sides of the family, if, if that's even really a thing. But, uh, I mean, otherwise great family, happy childhood. Strange, right? So let's dig a little bit deeper in my formative years, I guess. What's, uh, what's really my excuse? Well,
1: from my very earliest
2: memories, I've had a deep and powerful love for uh, rock and roll music. And then when I was 10 years old, I started playing the guitar. So, Naturally, growing up, I idolized all my favorite rock stars, you know, Phil Anselmo, Bon Scott, Ozzy, Marilyn Manson. All the magazines, biographies, interviews, and everything I could get my little hands on, I ate it all up. Then, at around age 12, my short and curly start sprouting. Along with this come the good old feelings of immense insecurity, angst, social anxiety, and sexual frustration that I'm sure every person on earth is at least vaguely familiar with. Awkward, shy, and just absolutely 100% uncomfortable in my own skin. No idea who or what I am and desperately trying to find a way to impress girls. Well, everybody knows who gets the most girls, right? They're rock stars. As such, all my uh, rock and roll idols were the guys I began striving to end with. Well, most of these dudes I idolized also happened to share a common issue. One thing, they pretty much all consumed alcohol in reckless quantities, so that was obviously going to be something to do when I grew up. But in addition to that, from all these books and interviews and shit, I read a good deal about drugs. Now, my family could tell me that drugs are bad until the cows come home, right? And they did. Same thing with school. I I graduated from the D.A.R.E. program. And shit, the moral of all of what I read was that drugs are bad, right? Read about how heroin destroyed many of my favorite bands. All these guys from the 70s who died from choking on their own vomit, so on and so forth. You know, all cautionary tales for the aspiring young musician. Ultimately, however, the uh, association that was gleaned by my impressionable young subconscious mind was that sex equals drugs equals rock and roll. Sound familiar? We're gonna revisit that formula later. But anyway, so like I mentioned before, puberty is whack. Awkward, insecure, sexually frustrated, 100% uncomfortable in my own skin. But anyway, during my freshman year of high school, probably due to a combination of like my temperament and the way I dressed, people started assuming and labeling me as a druggie. Now, at this point, I couldn't even have told you what fucking weed looked like, right? But the label druggie happened to compliment the silly little guitar picking rebel image that I was trying to cultivate and uh, vastly preferring that to the label of creep or weirdo, I ran with it. It wasn't until uh, about midway through age 15 that I actually discovered uh, marijuana and booze. So the booze, bro, I was a problem drinker from the get-go. I was the real alcoholic described in the AA book from the very first time. No question about that. Passing out before 10 o'clock, throwing up on pretty girls, crawling around and crying. I want to kill myself. You know, I, I was that guy. Yet, in spite of that, for all the issues previously mentioned, the insecurity, social anxiety, sexual frustration, I fucking loved the effect that alcohol produced in my brain. Plus, of course, you know, drinking underage made me cool. To be honest, though, looking back, unlike alcohol, I never really actually enjoyed the effects of weed. It was sometimes made me paranoid, but most of the time it would just fuck me with this completely negative emotional disposition. Like, I never saw it do anything like that to anybody else, but what do you know? Again, whenever I would smoke, I was that guy. So why did I do it? Well, because, of course, like I said, I thought it made me cool. Well, around fall 2011, weed led me into contact with people who dealt in other illegal goods. But before that, let's backtrack a little bit and I gotta tell you about when I found love. So the beginning of my junior year of high school, the whole goofy little rock and roll guitar boy shtick finally worked and I met a girl. My first actual girlfriend, right? She's this cool ass chick, smart as hell, down as fuck so what's the problem well in nature there seems to exist this incredible phenomenon of when a guy is single there's not a woman in sight who wants anything to do with him right but the second he gets a girlfriend how should i how should i say this the uh the floozies just appear out of the woodwork out of nowhere from every direction hey Gavin. (laughs) right So I had this awesome chick, but uh, also all this newfound attention from women that I'd never experienced before. So naturally being a selfish and self-centered piece of shit, I indulged in that. Anyway, so long story short on that, we broke up when we got to college because I wanted to party and get drunk and smoke weed with my cool friends rather than spend time with her. Then, you know, of course, in classic tragic fashion, a few weeks later, it suddenly dawns on me like. What have I done? But by this point, there's complications. There's another dude in the picture. Yada, yada, yada. Bottom line, she has outgrown me. And ironically enough, this really fucked me up. Like I said, happy childhood, standard shitty puberty. Um, A lot of people may roll their eyes at this, but this was my first real experience of trauma, I'd say. What do I mean by that? Well, I began exhibiting antics and behaviors indicative of slight to moderate mental instability. like Holding a loaded gun in my mouth and just all manner of whack-ass melodramatic shit, you know. I uh, I didn't exactly handle the situation with any kind of dignity whatsoever. So, of course, uh, freshman year of college, instead of studying and going to class, I am drinking uh, excessively. Kentucky Deluxe or something equally disgusting, at least six days a week, either by myself or around people who would have preferred me to do it by myself. And then one fateful evening, 18 years old, enter cocaine. Cocaine. You want to talk about, I want to feel this feeling for the rest of my life. Well, of course, you know, it's fucking cocaine. That's what it does. <laughs> but, bro, at the at the time, to my freshly deflowered drug virgin mind, oh, goodness. Oh, goodness. 18 years old, out of this black abyss of suicidal depression, I had just discovered the fucking philosopher's stone. And it was inside this gross little baggie of mid-grade cocaine. Honestly, my mindset when I first took that plunge, I wasn't trying to fit in or do anything exciting or anything like that. It was pretty much like, wow, this shit might actually kill me. Nice. Well, lo and behold, instead of killing me, I just really, really liked it. (laughs) Go figure. Anyway, so my, uh, my first bottom was roughly one year after I regularly started using drugs by this point, you know, I'd made it all the way from ecstasy to heroin with every fucking painkiller, ADHD medicine, and weird internet research chemical in between. So through my, uh, through my involvement with drugs and drug people, one dumbass thing led to another. And one day at 19 years old, after making a series of very foolish drunken decisions, I found myself federally indicted basically as an accessory after the fact to murder. Wrong place, wrong time, wrong people, and too drunk to care. That, my friends, is a real bitch of a combination. Long story short on that, the result of that was uh, six months of house arrest and two years of probation. My ex and I, remember the one I was all fucked up over earlier? We get back together. Just like before, cool ass shit. Down as fuck. Sticks with, me, sticks with me through a bunch of shit. Um, spring 2014, I am uh, arguably the single luckiest man alive. For, her, for the entire prior year, my excuse for drinking and drugging myself stupid had been more or less, I can't bear the pain of being without her. You know, I was, I was on that kind of shit. Well, now I had her again. The girl I'd held a gun in my mouth over. I had her back. I had her back, and yet, strangely, I now found that I still wanted to get high. My only wish in the world had been granted, and I still wanted to get high. Get high and flirt with bluesies. And that's exactly what I did. Well, right around my 21st birthday, she finally grew tired of being with a lying, embarrassing, junky man-child, and she bailed for the last time. And what do you know? This really fucked me up. So, after losing the only woman I've ever loved, again, do I finally change my ways, get my shit together, mature and evolve as a human being? (laughs) Absolutely not, bro, I'm 21 now. I hit the liquor store and I commenced to pathetically drowning my sorrows for the next year and a half or so. Now somehow, amidst all of this, I managed to complete probation and graduate college. Well, getting a degree and finishing probation may have seemed like cause for joy and celebration, the joy would be short-lived because a new dark specter had arrived in my sphere. She goes by many names. Tina, Tina, Tina. Mm. It's about a month or two into doing that shit every day, and then uh, tapping the vein suddenly becomes an acceptable idea. Now, of course, I've been one of those silly kids of firm resolve, right? Yeah, I might do a lot of drugs and shit every single day, but I'll never stick a needle in my arm. Blah, blah, blah. Well, as it turned out, all it took was one friend who got really heavy into it, and one night I got curious. Funny how that works. Yeah, I'm sure we we all know how methamphetamine works, right? I lose my job engage in progressively sketchier behaviors, become an emaciated shell of my former self, somehow end up stranded barefoot in a fucking McDonald's for six hours on multiple occasions, you know, et et cetera. Oh, here's a fun story. Last time I got arrested was uh, one morning after I'd been awake for a good hot minute. I was driving around, and then the next thing I know, there's a loud bang on my door, and two sheriffs had their guns drawn screaming at me to get out of the car. Turns out I would parked and fallen asleep in some poor random people's driveway. That was great. Yeah, the uh, the shard works in mysterious ways, you could say. Anywho, let's uh, so let's revisit that stupid little formula from earlier: sex equals drugs equals rock and roll. So, like I like I briefly mentioned at the beginning, I played guitar since I was ten. It's it's my passion. It's my art. Right. I played in bands, recorded music, sold merch, the whole nine. And I've done pretty much all of that with the guitar I've had since I was 13 years old, my prized possession. Well, I say my second true bottom came when one day I took that guitar to town and I pawned it. That's right, I pawned my guitar. I pawned it for a half gram of meth and some gas station food. So now, What was I left with from that stupid formula? No more rock and roll. Barely any drugs. And sex? (laughs) No self-respecting woman is going to go anywhere near a dude who hasn't slept or eaten in five days. In fact, by the end, uh, even the tweaker women wouldn't touch me. Now, if that is not a state of pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization, then I don't know what it is. It was time, I felt, for an agonizing reappraisal of the whole scene. It was time for a change, a psychic change. Let's talk about that. The late English occultist Aleister Crowley has a quote from one of his writings that's something to the effect of whether or not these things can be said to exist objectively is irrelevant. For by doing certain things, certain results will follow. Let me repeat that. Whether or not these things can be said to exist objectively is irrelevant. For by doing certain things, certain results will follow. Now, that's more or less my the attitude I take towards the 12 steps, right? I encourage people to approach the 12 steps like a scientist, Well, the whole uh, I found that the whole higher power thing may sound like superstitious bogus to a lot of people when they're first starting out. But the way I see it, the steps continually prove to be a scientific methodology by which people not only get clean, but also get happy and peaceful. So even if at first you're just going through the motions, as as a lot of people can attest to, I'm sure. Remember that by doing certain things, certain results will follow. All right. That being said, we have uh, we have the triangle, right? The whole the mind, body, spirit. And in my experience, and I'm sure in everybody's experience, we uh, we need to have all three of these things balanced. We hope to succeed in this recovery thing. So spiritually, I would say that uh, meditation is my primary tool. I find that uh, I find that that serves the majority of my personal purposes. Honestly, I'm, I'm not much of a prayer guy, but I do find that I'll turn to that when it comes to other people occasionally, like, uh, you know, God, please comfort my sick grandma, or God, please look after my friend who just relapsed, you know, shit like that. But along with meditation, I'd say the other most important tool for my recovery is uh, physical fitness, like uh, absolutely crucial. It is my understanding that communication with my higher power, infinite intelligence, or whatever the fuck you want to call it, is um, that occurs via the subconscious mind. And the medium for uh, conscious contact with the subconscious mind is the physical body. What do I mean by that? Basically, just think about all the shit that happens in your body to sustain life without your uh, requiring your conscious attention, your heartbeat, digestion, your breathing, uh, so on and so forth. In other words, as, as the old adage goes, your body is a temple. And the training of the body directly correlates with the training of the mind. because As above, so below, right? You guys may have heard that. Um, the mind is more or less a problem-solving machine. And the nature of this machine is to do the shitty thing where uh, if you're not currently experiencing any sort of substantial adversity or problem, mind will begin to manufacture its own problems, as many of us may uh, experience on a regular basis. I, in my addiction, I used to manufacture my own adversity by uh, neglecting and poisoning the ever living fuck out of my body. Now, I manufacture my own adversity by lifting weights, eating healthy, and uh, meditating for at least twenty minutes every day. Dude. It's all shit that deep down I always wanted to do, but I never had the discipline to implement it because uh, drugs and alcohol were just easier. Yeah, bro. I guess I guess to sum it up, the whole point of this recovery thing is really just to become comfortable in your own skin. And like from this a conversation I had about a week ago with Will on the phone, uh, Will pointed out that going your entire life without ever really knowing who you are is the, that's the very definition of insanity. And uh, like most people, I always had these absurd beliefs that it was something external that was going to fix me and help me to know myself. Like, Oh bro, if I, if I could just hook up with this girl, then I'll finally be confident. Or if I can just eat this much mushrooms next time, I'll finally understand life or <laughs> If I could just have unlimited meth, I'll be successful, right? But wouldn't you know, this whole fucking time, the answer was really just uh, push-ups and self-talk, and then uh, helping other people by serving as a good example. Yeah. Um, anyway, that's all I've got. Thank you all for letting me. If you guys wanna, if you guys wanna follow me on Instagram or anything, my uh, my username is just my name. It's Gavin Hairgrove. So that's G A V I N. H a i r g r o b e all one word.
1: Thanks. Kevin. Yeah, that was amazing, man. Motivating others and setting a good example. Yeah, yeah. I think it, you're doing that. Definitely
0: For a sure. good example. You know who'd, who who would have thought push-ups and self-talk? Yeah,
1: it fucking works though. Well, it's funny because it just reminds me like keep it simple. Like I want to <laughs> fucking overcomplicate everything. Yeah. And you know who would have thought yeah. it could just be that simple?
0: Yeah. I love
1: it, man. I I thank you so much for
0: telling your story and telling it in the way that you did, because it was like very energizing and fresh and like, I appreciate it. There's so much in there I could identify with, you know, the emotional part and being in love and yeah.
1: Yeah. The love part. Yeah. That painful love. Right. And he talked a lot about that. And of course, like, I mean, here's the thing. It's like, we, we can find any reason we want to, to drink and use. Right. Like, but course that's a reason that's another reason oh yeah Absolutely. i'm heartbroken like let me let me just let me just tie it on right you
0: know? almost like it's almost like the the disease knows right like i have to fuck up this relationship so that i can feel this certain way so that i can go out and do what i really want to do anyway which mm-hmm. is get fucking loaded yep. and, and like that was a perfect example in his story of like finally he got his wish right fuck this wish yeah that's not really what I was wishing for. This is, I was wishing for that, but also what about, what about cocaine? Yeah. I mean, I like that. Coke. <laughs> and, and that's what I mean by like being able to laugh at your past right. now, right? Like, cause mm-hmm. I laugh because I can identify with, with getting what I want and that not really being what I want. This is what I want, but also that. And now this is the perfect example because like my own story my high school girlfriend, like we moved in together, and I was I fucking used behind her back all the time. Yeah, and then I caught her cheating on me, and I just blew it out of proportion on my end. Right? Yeah, and used it for an excuse to totally self-destruct. Oh sure,
1: like sure, f- going off the rails, you know. Oh yeah, <laughs> I have so many instances like that for sure, dude, yeah. for sure. And I, I I think that you know he he talked about. He he talked about some grisly shit. Yeah. One of the things I think that I identified with is just just that validation that come from women. Like he didn't he didn't know how to like validate yeah. his 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 own self without having a woman in the picture. Yeah. You know. And and I like that he, you know, he talked about how what is this thing that happens like as soon as you get a girlfriend <laughs> like all the other girls come out of the woodworks yeah. and all of a sudden you know like it's like well yeah that sounds real familiar it does you know it does right. And like, I mean, I love that
0: I could recognize that same bottom of like, finally, finally getting to a place where nobody wants to be around me. I'm pawning all my shit. Mm. Like, like, and that happened. Like, you know, for me, it was, uh, my great grandpa left me a, uh, hunting rifle. It's a thirty forty Craig, which is. I don't. know, It's not like super rare, but it's not a super common rifle either. And and I would continually steal that thing from my dad and fucking go sell it. Right. And, and I'd go fucking pawn that gun every every chance I got. And you know, fortunately, my parents would fuck co- be codependent and go get it out or whatever. I don't know how he got his guitar back, but um, you know. My dad still has that gun to this day because he kept going and getting it out. But I don't have it because I yeah. fucking go sell it. You know, yeah. like, like anything I could get money for at the end, I would fucking do that. Mm-hmm. I would do that.
1: Yeah, over,
0: over all of it, and and get <laughs> to that point of incomprehensible demoralization, demoralization, where you can no longer hide from the world what you really are at that moment. Right? Like mm-hmm. I'm a fucking drug addict. Posted up in a bathroom, beating my dick, fucking shoving drugs and alcohol into my body. Crying. (laughs) All at the same time. All at the same time. Yeah. All at the same time. And 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 that's what you call owning your fucking story. (laughs) I mean, really. I laugh because that is my past. Yeah. Yeah. That's my past, right? Like trying to do all those things at once, hoping that one of them will work. One or of all of them. Bring me that happiness. Feel the void. Right. And turns out push-ups and self-talk was the answer. <laughs> great.
1: <laughs> That's just great, man. <laughs> no,
0: no, I I laugh because that is a, a huge part of my program today. But um, you know, finding a solution that works, you know, he talked he talked about the steps, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, and having that as a part of You know, there seems to be something that works like you can you can deny it all you want and it may not work for you if you don't work it or you don't agree with it. But there's thousands and thousands of people who have found sobriety through the 12 steps, who have found a different way of living and found a new level of understanding themselves through the step work, being transparent, owning their past you know putting it on paper making those amends you know continuing in the process of those three areas you know spi- physical spiritual and mental mind body spirit yeah trying mm-hmm. trying to get those things connected get them in line get them on a on a daily program whatever that looks like for them you know for us we've talked about it several times but what ours looks like and it, and it consists of a lot of the same things you know meditation healthy diet exercise communication, relationships with people, um, you know, those things, put them all together and it creates this space where we can not only own our past, we can love our past, we can live in our past, we can laugh at our past, we can learn from our past, we can share our past, and we can move forward knowing that we don't have to go back to our past, right? Right. I think that that's so dope. And I got all that out of his story.
1: Yeah, all that plus some. Yeah. Like his story was great, man. Yeah, it was so good, and I can't thank you enough, Gavin, for 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 sharing your story and and uh, and you know, like just being a good example of, of of what owning your story can do. I I think that uh, you know, like I I learned a lot from it. I hope that our viewers learned a lot from it, and uh, and I'm I'm happy to be here and discuss this with you today. Yeah, I think it's important. Own that shit. I'ma own it. Own it. I'm going own it. You know, our, our our dear friend Katie would be proud. Yeah. We're owning our story. Yeah, we'll tag her in this. You know, if you guys
0: wonder who that is, it's Katie from Katie's Crazy Corner. You're going to love her. Yeah. She's redhead for Reels on mm-hmm. Instagram. Yeah. So she was on the show. I can't remember what episode, but it was a good time.
1: It was on Hailing. I remember that. Yeah. But. Anyways, guys, if you're interested in telling your story or you if it if it seems like something you want to do out loud with us on the podcast, we're more than happy to hear it. And you can do that by contacting us at the other side of hell at gmail.com or sending us a DM on Instagram at, at the other side of hell 101. Or on Facebook at the other side of hell 101. Or on Twitter at T-O-S-O Hell Podcast. <laughs> and that's it
0: yeah very good good that was a good test yeah we should do that more often yeah knowing all the platforms so bro i'm on it yeah thank you for doing that thank you for all you do thank you for brainwashed coffee thank you for jordan back there yeah thanks jordan doing his thing not falling asleep keeping his mouth quiet for the most part on all the things that he likes to talk about he didn't sneeze once not one time i'm so proud yeah so let's wrap it out. All right, man, I'm wants to hear us anymore. Well, I don't want to hear you. <laughs> you go first. Thank you everyone for tuning in. Thank you for the support. I love you. You are amazing. And I will see you. We will see you on the other side. And remember you are worth the work. Thanks guys. The Other Side of Hell is a do-it-yourself podcast. For more information, recovery resources, and contact info, check out our website at theothersideofhellpodcast.com. You can help us spread our message by liking and subscribing, giving us a
2: follow, or a five-star rating.